Hey everyone again. If you're online, welcome. We're glad that you're joining us today. It looks like COVID's still going on. I leave for a couple months hoping maybe it just passes, you know, and and uh, doesn't look like everyone's out and about yet. Um, hopefully you're staying safe and uh, protecting yourself. My name's Tony. I am the lead pastor here at Gateway. Uh, if you've been watching for a couple months and I've not been here, I've been gone. Uh, so they, hopefully this is like riding a bicycle. Haven't done this for a while, so don't judge me uh, what I'm about to say. All right. Uh, no, we're starting a brand new series today that I'm excited about called Hold Fast. Second John, you know, we're going to tear apart the whole book of Second John, Dan, the whole book, all 13 verses. It's a tiny little letter uh, that the Apostle John wrote to a church um, that we're going to tear apart, and it has to do with community. It has to do with truth. What is truth? It has to do with love. It has to do with obedience. It has to do with the community of faith living out what they are called to be in their time. You know, I leave for a couple months and the world just falls apart. I don't know. I don't think it had anything to do with me. But would you all agree that the world just seems to be coming apart at the seams? I tried to uh, turn the news on and catch what was going on, and it was ruining my sabbatical, so I had to turn it off. Um, Pandemics. Oh, my goodness. You can't go a day without hearing about the pandemic. Civil unrest. You can't go a day without hearing about the riots and the violence and the destruction, the violence in our streets. The political strife. (laughs) Let's not even get there. I mean, to tell you, it... You know, they say that politics has always been cutthroat, but man, it's bad. I mean, I've never seen two sides wanting so much bad to happen to the other side in my life. And I think everyone is just simply looking for a solution to our problems, aren't they? And there's a lot of voices. You turn the TV on and you got this group. You turn the TV on, or you listen to the radio, or you listen to a friend, or you turn, uh, God forbid, you turn Twitter on, and, uh, or Facebook, and everyone's got an opinion, and everyone's got a voice. There's political solutions, there's social solutions, there's religious solutions. Organizations and groups are popping up every day, and every one of these organizations claims to have the answer to our problems. As a matter of fact, they're evangelizing you. And they want you to come and see it their way and join their group and join their fight for social justice. To fix the problems of our society. To fix the problems that we see happening all around. There are so many voices. Black people are yelling at black people. That they need to not trust the white people and do things for themselves. And white people are yelling at white people. And white people are shaming white people for simply being white. And you've got colors and races and political groups and everybody's on their side. And everybody's screaming some truth and trying to get you to see it their way. And social justice. 
Well, that's a hot topic today. It's the focus of many of these groups. They want to see justice in our society. And I, and I don't doubt that. So does God. God cares about justice too. But He also cares about righteousness. And righteousness cannot go without justice. And justice cannot go without righteousness. They go together. I don't like the social justice movement, and I know that seems like a strange thing to say, but I've studied it and looked at it. You say, well, why is the social justice movement, you know, there's truth there. Yeah, there's truth there. Here's why I don't like the social justice movement, and why I don't think social justice movements are going to solve our solution, because social justice still divides us. It still pits people against people. It still divides you by your race or your gender or your religion or whatever. It draws a distinction of who you are. And here's what social justice says. They want to take from those who have and give to those who don't. And you may say, well, that sounds good. No, it doesn't because that's not the gospel. Social justice movements want to take from one group and give to those who they perceive are down and out or oppressed. And here's the problem with that. The gospel calls us to lay down our life, not to have it taken away from us. Think about that for a minute. That's why I don't like the social justice. That's why I don't join groups like Black Lives Matter or Blue Lives Matter or whatever. Because they still draw lines and draw divisions amongst us. Here's the challenging part for me, and I know it's probably a real tension part for you in what's happening in our world and our culture, is this. That in all of these groups, and all the voices that you're hearing, the political parties, the, the black lives matter, the white lives, the blue lives, the whatever lives or whatever groups are coming out, There's truth in what they're saying. And that makes it challenging. How can you deny the truth? Why wouldn't you join a social justice group? Because those lives do matter. There is oppression in our culture. There are individuals. That's a true statement. They all make true claims. They all make truth statements. The Constitution of the United States gives me certain rights. And you can't take those rights away from me. Truth. That's a true statement. If you don't work, you won't eat. That's a true statement. Reap what you sow. That's a true statement. You see, my, my challenge here is that the voices that are clanging and clamoring for our attention, for our loyalty, for the, to look at the solutions, the groups that want us to join them, to get in with them, the Republicans, the Democrats, the Independents, you know, all these different groups, they're claiming that their philosophy and their ideology, their truth is the right way. 
But here's a question for all of us. Is that what Jesus asks of us? To simply uphold truth? It's funny how truth, even though it's true, can still divide us. And create so much turmoil between people. It sounds strange to say, but seeking the truth in matters is not always enough. Simply knowing the truth is not good enough. Let's break everything down. Let's look at all the strife, all the turmoil, all the fighting, all the the groups and the clamoring and the clanging and the noise and the voices, and let's break it all down. What is it that everyone really wants? What is it that we all just simply want? Have you thought about it? What do people really want? Here's what I think. I think what people really want and what people really need is community. I think that's what they want. They want to know that they can belong in a group of people and be who they are. Be who they were born to be. Do what they like. Say what they like. I think people simply want to be in a community where they are loved and cherished and free. They don't want to be in a community where they are oppressed, held back, or judged. People want to be in community. We were built. We were created by our Father in heaven for community. We were created for relationship. We were created for each other. And when sin enters into that community and people begin to judge one another and begin to treat one another one way or hold a certain group down, sin begins to destroy that community. Or when one group decides to take advantage of another group in that community, sin begins to destroy that community. People simply want to know that they can belong in a community of relationships where they are loved and cherished. Not just built on truth, but also built on love. You see, truth without love is dangerous. We all have been guilty and have had it done to us where someone takes the truth, whether, you know, it's true, and just beats us over the head with it. (laughs) Truth without love can do more damage than a lie. Truth is not enough. And this is why all of the epistles, all of them, especially the epistles in the New Testament that John wrote, deal with community. 
Every epistle deals with unity of the community. It was so ingrained in the apostles' minds that for us to be the people of God, for us to achieve what God has called us to be, we must be the community that lives out what God's called us to. And no one, like I said, speaks to this than John. And I'm just going to start reading verse 1. Second John, if you've got your Bibles, you can pull that open. You can follow along up here. But this is Second John, verse 1 and 2. There are no chapters in Second John, so this isn't chapters 1 and 2. Don't worry. I'm not going to talk about two chapters of the Bible. I know that would freak you out, right? Just two verses. Here we go. You ready? The elder. John's talking about himself. The presbyter is in the Greek. He is the elder. He is the, could be just the old man. John is an old man at this point. Or he is the elder of this church that he's writing to. He says this, To the lady chosen by God and to her children. Now there are several ideas about who the lady is. Many scholars say it could be a real person, a real lady who has children, and John is actually writing her a letter. But there's questions about that. Some scholars say it could be code. This is a way that the, in this time and age when you were a Christian and if this letter got taken, they didn't want to put names in there. They didn't want to say this church or that church because the Romans would come and persecute them. And so they use these codes. And maybe lady chosen by God, he is really just code for the local church. Or maybe it's both. Maybe it was a local church, a home church that was meeting that John was the, was the elder of, and he's writing to this church, and this church meets in a lady's house that has been chosen by God. In the original language, John in verses 6, 8, 10, and 12, he actually uses the plural form of verbs and nouns when he speaks about the lady, which makes us think he's speaking to a group of people. But we're not sure. But here's something we do know about John. John always has in mind the local church. John was a big proponent of the local church. He loved the local church. He understood that Jesus died, was raised from the dead, went back to heaven, and gave us this command to gather in my name. Jesus established the Jesus gatherings. And John loved the local church. And he wrote to them. We know that about John. We know that this letter was copied hundreds and hundreds of times and passed around to all the churches. Which makes us think, maybe it wasn't really a personal note to a person. But John was actually writing instruction to a local church. And you're saying, Pastor, why are you telling me all this? Why is this important? Because I want you to understand that the letter of 2 John is a letter to a church and how they should live. How they should act. How they should behave. How each of them. It is a letter that John is instructing us on how the church ought to be in an uncertain time when this letter was written. So the letter was probably written to a house church who meets in the house of the chosen lady. And John has in mind the lady, her children, and those who gather in that church. 
Next verse. The lady had chosen by God to her children, whom I love in the truth. Notice I'm marking truth. John just, major theme. Look, if you're reading your Bible and you see in one verse a word that's used three times, it's important, right? Whom I love in the truth. Not only I, he says, but also all who know the truth. Because the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. John loves them in the truth. There is no doubt in scholars' minds and in my mind that John is speaking not about an idea, not about a a philosophy, not about a political ideology or an ideology or viewpoint of the world, but John is speaking about Jesus. Because we know in 1 John, he often refers, and and all of us right, he often refers to Jesus as the truth. It is John who said, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And the fact that he talked about the truth that lives in us. John is not speaking about an ideology. John is speaking about about the truth, who is Jesus. John intimately connects truth and love in these two verses. Their love, listen, is not based on just a momentary feeling or even on a common idea or a goal. These are not just a group of people who've gathered around a a lives matter group or a political group or an ideology. These are people who have gathered around, not around a momentary feeling or an idea or a philosophy. No, it is not just a common interest or social ideology that they're gathering around. What ties them together is the truth. Of Jesus. You can be a Democrat and a Republican, but in the church, that don't matter. The left can be right, and the right can be right, but in the church, we don't gather around that stuff. We gather around Jesus. He transcends all of that. His truth is above all that. Who He is transcends. The love of Jesus transcends all earthly interests in the community of faith. It's based on... These these people that John is writing, their faith is based on their, their God who has made them one. They don't come together and join around an earthly idea or ideology or even a social justice system. They gather or a governmental system. They come and they gather around this idea that in Jesus, God has made us one. One. And nothing should divide us. Because Jesus cannot be divided. Ideology can be divided. A certain way that you look at a truth can be divided. But Jesus, you can't divide Him. 
God has made us family. Children of the High King. The King of Kings. And look what John says. It's not just John. Go back for me. It's not just John. But it's all who know the truth. (laughs) This is big. We missed this one. We just read right on through it. It's great that John sees it this way, but he's saying, look, no. This truth that you here in Angola, this local church, the truth of Jesus that you've built your community upon is the same truth that this community over here around the world is built on. And because of your truth and their truth, we are one. We're connected. Not on an ideology. Not on a political system. Not on a social justice system or a group or this group or that group or whatever. We come together around the person of Jesus. And that makes us one. He transcends all of that. Listen, the Jesus-centered community is not based on common interest or shared goals, but instead on the truth that Jesus has made us one. Jesus is the truth. Not my race. Not the science of the day. Not a political ideology. And not even a doctrine. I'll say it. This is why those who lean toward Calvin and those who lean toward Wesley are one. They look at the truth in a different way. And they live their lives based upon a different way. But when it comes to the community of faith, when it comes to the church, we are one. Our doctrine should not even divide us. How do you divide Jesus? Our community is based on Jesus, who is the truth. But also, what I think is missing today in a lot of these truths that are going around, love. Because you see, God is love. Next verse, verse 3. John goes on, he says, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son, will be with with us in truth and love. The Bible tells us that Jesus came in truth and in love. Grace. they got to put grace first. Why? Because it deals with our sin. You can't have peace. If you're covered in sin, you can't have peace if you're buried in sin. The grace of God is his unmerited favor in Jesus who takes away the sins of the world. His death and his resurrection has forever dealt with that for us. And if we simply believe in him and put our trust in him, the grace of God washes away our sin. Grace deals with our guilt. Mercy is God's compassion to not give us what we deserve. Grace deals with my guilt. Compassion comes to those who are miserable. 
We are miserable in this life. We feel as though things just aren't quite right. And we deserve more than what we get because God is merciful. He gives us grace and shows us mercy. Now, peace is the wholeness or health of life. John is saying that in the community of faith, when truth is present in the person of Jesus and the group surrounds themselves, centers themselves, when Jesus is at the center of this Jesus community and there is love that wraps those people around that truth and they go forward with that truth, in that community there will be grace and there will be mercy and there will be peace. There won't be fighting divisions. We won't be posting stuff that makes everybody not want to be around you or talk to you. I know I'm going to get close to the whole social media thing today. Sometimes, side note, sometimes I worry we know our Constitution better than we know our Bible. That worries me as a pastor. I know my rights. I'll get to that in a minute. Peace is the sum whole of a life that is blessed by grace and mercy. It says, will be with us in truth and love. Listen to me, church. The greatest gift that God has given His church. Are you ready? The greatest gift that God has given His church is the free gift of grace and mercy. And it's founded upon the truth that Jesus died for us and was raised from the dead for us. We center our life, Him at the center of our community. We are wrapped in love. Grace and mercy is there, and because of that, we have peace, wholeness, health. We are healthy and growing and maturing. We communicate. We're in, relationships are strong and good. When peace is present in the community because of the truth and love that we have. So John takes this even further in verses 4 and 6. He says, truth is not just philosophical. It's not just this idea or belief that we believe. No, we don't just know and believe the truth. Listen, but we also must walk in it. We pack it up in a suitcase and take it everywhere we go. I know what a suitcase is after two months of traveling. Some of you probably wonder, what did you do? Went down to Florida. Gave everybody COVID down there. I'm joking. It's a joke. It is interesting. The day I left, they had outbreak. So I don't know. You take it for what it's worth. Um, Went down there for a month, hung out. um, Came home. Went to Colorado, did some fly fishing. I love that. Um, Standing in the river with the fly fishing. Took my dad and my brother, and we did some fly fishing in South Dakota. And uh, went to the Black Hills, did some mountain climbing, literally mountain climbing. Uh, Made it to 
10,350 some feet where the Continental Divide was. I sent Billy a picture because I thought he, you know, Billy loves water. He always talks about the watersheds around here. He knows where they're all at. And there it said, Pacific watershed is that way and the Atlantic watershed is that way. So, you know, I, I don't know. Um, it was cool. It was cool. But I know what it's like to live out of a suitcase. And I know what it's like to haul stuff around the country. But John's kind of given us this idea that truth and love are there and they're present in the community, but we also need to walk in it. First John, or Second John chapter 1, verse 4. It has given me great joy, John says, to find some of your children walking in the light. Just as the Father commanded us. John uses this idea of walking in all of his letters. He's the one in 1 John that talks about walking in the light, walking in the darkness, walking in the truth. John likes to use this idea of walking. And what John is really talking about is your lifestyle. He's talking about your behaviors. He's talking about your habits. He's talking about how you live your life, the principles and practices in which you live your life. And John's saying you must live your life in truth and love. You must take truth and love and live that out. If you're only carrying around truth, you're probably beating people up. And nobody wants to follow you. But if you include love and truth, It's irresistible. Seriously. Matthew Henry gives us this helpful picture. He says this, Let young travelers learn to carry their religion along with them. And not either leave it at home or or learn the ill customs of the countries where they come. You hear what he's saying? Same thing John's saying. You cannot just believe the truth, but you have to live it. John was excited that truth was more than just an idea for those in this little church, but that they were carrying it with them and living it out in their community. Verse 5, And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his command, speaking of Jesus. John makes a very important point here for us. This is not a new command, but an old one. You cannot separate these three things. I got ahead of myself. That's the next verse. Hang on. John makes this point. It was a reminder for us to keep on keeping on in obedience. How? How should we be obedient? By loving one another. That is the command of Jesus. That was the last command he gave his disciples. That was the last thing he spoke to us about. He didn't talk about racism and social issues and all of this. He simply said to his disciples, love one another. The Bible teaches us that love overcomes a multitude of sins. Love. Loving one another is Jesus' command for us. 
This is Jesus' fulfilling command of all the law. You can take all the law of God and to love God and love one another sums it up. It's not complicated, but it's not easy. Next verse. Verse, second part of verse 6. He says, As you have heard from the beginning, His command is that you walk, that you live, that you practice in your life love. John does something elegant here. He takes truth, he takes obedience, and he takes love, and he intertwines these three things together into something that is beautiful for us as the church. It's a picture of a community that works. It's a picture of a community that God has in mind and in store for us. A world and a society that is intertwined in in truth and obedience and love for one another and God. You cannot separate these things because truth without love becomes a weapon. Obedience without love. It might be true, but it makes you wrong. When you have obedience without love, you fall into legalism. Real love does not exist without truth and obedience. You cannot have love either without the truth. If God is love and you're without God and you say you love, what love are you loving with? If you are without God and you say you love and He is love, what love are you loving with? It's not true love. It's not real love. Real love seeks to lift the other one up with no strings attached. For the people of God, it all begins and ends with love. Love lived out through obedience. It makes us the most powerful community on earth. It makes us the most powerful force on earth. When we truly love one another and we stand around the truth who is Jesus and we are obedient to Him when we love one another, we can be the most powerful force for good in our world. John Wesley wrote this about love. He said, It is well you should be thoroughly sensible of this. In other words, get it into your mind. You should know about this. The heaven of heavens is love. There is nothing higher in religion. There is, in effect, nothing else. If you look for anything more than love, you're losing You are looking wide of the mark. You are getting out of the royal way. And when you are asking others, have you received this or that blessing? If you mean anything but more love, you mean wrong. You are leading them out of the way and putting them upon a false scent. What is John Wesley saying here? He says, settle it then in your heart 
that from the moment God has saved you from all sin, you're, you are to aim at nothing more but more of that love described in the 13th of the Corinthians. You can go no higher than this till you are carried into Abraham's bosom. So nearly all of the epistles have major themes in unity of the community. John here is not explicit about this theme, about community and unity, but it's here. It's at the heart of the command to walk in truth, to walk in obedience, to walk in love. This is that community that should be unified around Jesus and His mission in the world. Truth is lived out in the context of Christian community. It's God's plan for us. It's His command for us. Yes, the world seems to be falling apart, but that doesn't scare me so much. You want to know what really scares me about being a pastor and leader of a local community of faith? It's not the threats of a pandemic. It's not the violence that you see in the streets and the civil unrest. It's not a certain political party getting power at Washington as though that's never happened before. It's not even my rights being taken away from me. And I know you're all like, whoa, whoa, it's a bill of rights. It's like... You want to know what really scares me is this. That the people of God have forgotten that truth is not an idea or a philosophy or a political party or an old piece of paper with some words written on it. But truth is a person. That our lives are not to be centered around a political party or a group, social justice, whatever it is, as true as some of that may be and as good as some of that may be. If it divides me from you, it's wrong. You want to know what else scares me? That the people of God know and stand up and fight for their American rights before they're willing to lay down their life for one another. You know, Jesus had rights. Heavenly rights. He didn't need a constitution or a bill of rights to give Him the rights He had. He was the Son of God. He had heavenly rights, yet He took up His cross. Hmm, that pesky old cross. And you know what he did? He told his people, if you want to follow me, if you want to be a Jesus follower, if you want to be in a Jesus community, if you want to have me at the center of your life, you're going to need to take up your cross too. And I'm afraid some of us think that just means that we're going to have burdens in life. It means nothing of the sort. 
To carry a cross has nothing to do with your aches and pains and illness and disease. To take up your cross means that you have every right in the world to stand up for what is true. But instead, you're willing to lay down your life and give up every right you have so that those who are being hurt or less fortunate or those in the world who have a foot in the back of their neck might be lifted up. Those who can't help themselves might be helped by you. That's what it means to take up your cross. Jesus had every right in the world and in heaven to call an army. Because the truth was, he was innocent. But the truth didn't matter at that moment, did it? Instead, he laid down his life. Jesus gave up comfort and power and rights to lift those who were down and powerless and unable to lift themselves up. You and me. I fear that we're more quick to stand up for our American rights. And our first thought isn't, how can I lay down my life for a brother or a sister or a family that needs help or a certain group of race who is being persecuted? What can I do to help? That's what the gospel calls us to. Not nationalism. The gospel calls us to lay down our lives for whoever needs our help. You know what else scares me? Is that the people of God are going to stop gathering. It's hard to be a movement if you don't come together. I know that we can't come together in great big giant groups, and that's okay, but I still worry that you have stopped gathering with each other. Or that you're doing everything else in your life, and you're doing everything else as though COVID isn't affecting you, but yet you don't gather with your brothers and sisters in Jesus. Jesus calls us to gather. To gather on purpose, to worship, and to go on mission. So John's letter is about his joy for what is happening in the community. But here's the bottom line for us today. Our actions and our words should be characterized by truth and love. Worship team's going to come and close us out today in a song. I want you to think about these things for a moment. You know, over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking a lot about community. We're going to be talking a lot about, okay, we can't get everybody together anymore. Not everyone's coming. But how can we continue to be the church? How can we continue to be on mission? How can we continue to be what God's called us to be? And I'm going to really ask you to do something for me. I want you to just pray. And just ask God, God, what is it that you want me to do? How can I be more caring? Maybe I don't need to send that post. Maybe I don't need to retweet that. 
Maybe instead I need to focus on the Word of God and I need to focus on the truth who is Jesus and I need to focus on love and loving one another. And, and you know, I know I have an opinion about COVID and I have an opinion about Black Lives Matter and I have an opinion about this and I have an opinion about that. But let's just keep our opinions to the self and ask ourselves, what does love require of me? Because that's what the gospel is. What does love require of me? And just ask God, God, start working in me. Start helping me see where I can lay down my life and make a difference in my world. Or in some person's life. Or it doesn't have to be in my world. It's like this is just one person at a time kind of thing. Father, challenge us. So many voices today. So much clanging and clamoring for my attention. I am a child of God first. Teach me what it means to be your son, your daughter, your child. Jesus' name, take us home. Intro.